Right, if you will open your Bible to uh, Titus, tonight we're going to begin uh, our study of Titus. We'll be looking tonight at Titus 1, 1 through 3.15, which is the entire book of Titus. Uh, that's all the verses. Uh, this is kind of like that first day in school where you're hoping this, the teacher will, will not give you too much work. You're hoping it's kind of easy. This is that first class where we look at what we're going to be looking at for the next several months, which is the book of Titus. Um, it's going to be an exegetical study. Tonight's task at hand is twofold. Number one, we want to overview uh, the theme of Titus, the major theme of Titus, and some of the components that we're going to look at in the study over the next several months, um, breaking this book down into more manageable sections for in-depth exegetical look. Um, and then we want to read through the passage of Scripture together out loud. And this is just, um, this is helpful for us as we begin to study and to learn God's Word. It's important that we simply just read it. And there's value in that. And as we looked in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, the Scriptures tell us to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. We should read God's Word out loud. It's as simple as that. And so we're going to read God's word out loud. Um, and I'm thankful that you are willing to accommodate my effort to be obedient to God's word. And I'm glad you will also be tonight. So the book of Titus, there are, uh, some of you have study Bibles. If you have a study Bible, always take advantage of those initial pages before a book in the Bible where they'll talk about authorship and dating and theme. They'll talk about key verses and key thoughts. Because those are helpful information as we try to understand God's Word. And it's important that we remember the context of God's Word is both key and king. It's key to understanding what was meant to be understood. And it's king, which means that what was intended by the original author in the original context, uh, it is supreme to what you think the passage means in your contemporary context. So often we like to ask, well, what do you think this passage of Scripture means to you? Um, to which we should always respond, I don't care what you think the passage of Scripture means to you. I want to know what the passage of Scripture means from God. I want to know what God thinks it means and what he wants us to understand that it means. And so the context of the passage, um, understanding the original author, the original, the original intent, will shape our understanding of God's Word, which ultimately will lead us to one of the key themes in the book of Titus, which is an emphasis towards and a focus on right doctrine or sound doctrine. And that's one of the problems that Paul is talking to Titus that he needs to deal with. So generically, generally speaking, high level, this is the, uh, this is the context of the book of Titus. Paul Writing this letter in the mid-60s uh, A.D., maybe 63 A.D., he is writing this letter to Titus, who he is leaving in Crete, to continue the work of establishing elders and overseers to churches that are located in different cities of the island. Crete is an island, and before you feel too bad for Paul leaving Titus in Crete, you should just Google Crete and see. This man's not exactly being left in a slum, all right? This is one of those paradise islands that people are like, Lord, please send me there to be a missionary. Like, God, it's okay. Well, I, my yes is on the table, Lord. Send me to Crete. Uh, but it's a beautiful locale. I've not been, but I'm hoping, to, to, I'm hoping to work up a Holy Land trip to Jesus' sites in like early, maybe spring of 2025, all right? I'm just throwing that out there. 
It may not happen, but I'm pushing for it. I need her to say yes, and then we're going. All right? That's Carly. Also, I need Hank to say yes, secondarily. Um, I believe the Lord's saying go. I just need to convince them. And then y'all can go with me. How cool does that sound? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So Paul leaves Titus in Crete, and his responsibility is to finish what they had already started, which is organizing church life in these different cities. You have different cities throughout this island, and each city basically has a church or an assembly of believers, because we remember the church is so much bigger than what we are right here. The church is greater than that. The church is God's family. It's his kingdom that was bought by the blood of Christ. Now, we have our individual churches, lowercase c, which is an assembled of committed believers who are united in theology, doctrine, and practice. And we seek to not only continue to reach our Jerusalem and Judea, but we also seek to be uh, instigators of one another, raising others up uh, to good works and to heart fellowship, um, but also to make sure that we are maturing in our faith and growing deeper in our knowledge of Lords, but also motivated through accountability to reach out into our neighborhoods and reach out into our families with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we are individual C. And what Paul is telling Titus is that he needs to finish the work of establishing elders or overseers in those cities so that those churches have order. We know through the testament of tradition and time that churches without proper established uh, organization and leadership tend to be churches that are dwindling because they lose sight of their mission, they lose direction, and they lose uh, the value of oversight. Now, oversight's not to have your thumb on people telling them what they can or can't do. Oversight oftentimes is saying, here are the bounds of right doctrine. We need to continue in this direction, living within these parameters. And that is <clears throat> that becomes one of the main issues that Paul needs Titus to deal with, not only establishing uh, elders and overseers in the cities throughout the island of Crete, but also making sure that sound doctrine is being taught. Because right living will not occur before sound doctrine is taught. The standard must be established for the lives to be planted on and in. If we, if we seek to ask people to live a right life, a righteous, godly life filled with contentment, but we never give them the definition of what godliness is, how could we ever hope that they would achieve the life of godliness? And so he makes this argument. Here is right order in church. In chapter 2, he says, here is sound doctrine that should lead to right living in accordance to sound doctrine. And then he moves into chapter 3 where he gives us the right way for world order to work. Not necessarily to reorder the world, but to give the right order for the world according to the gospel of Jesus Christ within the outworking of the Trinity. And then he offers some final instructions. And as we think, before we read this passage, as we think about the Word of God, as we're about to read it, we need to think about these major themes and how they function, remembering that even though this letter was written personally and particularly from Paul to Titus in the mid-60s AD, and we might find there are certain themes or verses that resonate with us, we must understand that there is a particular purpose in this letter being written. And so receive the word, if you will, as it was intended to be received. And let's watch as God does an amazing work in us 
and around us through the reading of his word. Are you ready for Titus? And this is what God's word says. Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Next week, Joe Yarbrough is going to take this passage. Oh, the salutations are so sweet. Oh, they're so good. Paul, a servant, talking about the bondservant and finding out what a bondservant is of God and an apostle to differentiate between a lowercase a apostle and an uppercase a apostle and to see how that resonates from the early church in Acts chapter 1. These are good themes that are going to be so much fun to dig in. I'm not taking, I'm not taking your assignment, Joe. You just stick with it. We read on <clears throat> the following week. I'll pick up in verse 5, hopefully. And we read on, it says, this is why I left you in Crete. Again, we don't feel terrible for Titus. He was left on a paradise island, but he was left in Crete. This is why I left you in Crete, that you may put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, talking about qualifications, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For any overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision parties. He's referring specifically not to Jews, but specifically, specifically to legalists, to legalists who would suggest that you're not within God's will unless you're living within the strictures of human, uh, of human defined legalism. They must be silenced, verse 11, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are, <laughs> Cretans are always liars, they're evil beasts, they're lazy gluttons. Uh, so this is an Epimedes paradox here, all right? We'll talk about this in several weeks. There is a Cretan named Epimedes who stated that all Cretans are liars. And that becomes a paradox because if he's a Cretan saying that all Cretans are liars, that means, therefore, that he must be lying because all Cretans are liars. And if all, Cretan, if all Cretans are liars and if he is also a liar, then he's also lying about telling the truth, which is truthful here in this point because he's a liar, it's a paradox. <clears throat> it's both true and untrue at this very same time. Verse 13. Testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and to the commands of people who turn away from the faith. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and the consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for good works. 
chapter 2. But as for you, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good and to so to And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working in home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. In other words, remember that your assignment came from the king on high and not from anybody on earth. Don't let people disregard you for preaching and teaching sound truth because you're a messenger from the king. You're not a messenger from anybody here on earth. Chapter 3 verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying's trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and they're profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. For they're unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up divisions, divisions after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Now, imagine they are on a closed island and you are about to burn a bridge with someone. Be very careful before you do so, but understand that sometimes it's necessary. We'll get to that in a couple of months. A final instruction and greeting. When I send to you Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. 
And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us. Greet those who love us. Don't worry about the ones that don't. But greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We just read the book of Titus. I want to lead us in a word of prayer. And then we're going to have an invitation. Um, And I want to invite you, after the prayer, I want to invite you to respond. Brother Mark, if you guys want to come on and make your way up. I want to invite you to respond to the reading of God's word tonight by simply asking, Lord, was I receptive to your word? Was I able to understand it? If you don't understand God's word, there's one of two reasons why. The scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that spiritual understanding comes through receiving the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Holy Spirit can only be received by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit, remember this, he falls on us and then he continually fills us. And so if you read God's word and it is just a bare, blank, hard, lifeless book, I would ask you first to think Is the reason I have no understanding or interest in what was just read because I don't have the Holy Spirit of God living in me? And if you don't have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, then you might want to ask this question. Have I ever received the free gift of forgiveness of my sins by placing my faith in Jesus Christ? It starts there. And I believe that we have churches. Once upon a time, I used to say that I believe 40% of church people were really lost. They walked an aisle when they were young, but they were never converted and they were never discipled. And they've just been living falsely convinced that they're saved when there's no fruit. And Jesus said very clearly that a tree without fruit is not a fruitful tree. There's a reason. So one reason that you might be indifferent or apathetic to God's word is because you simply don't have the Holy Spirit of God in you. You don't have the ability to understand the spiritual matters. And if that's you, listen, tonight, a Sunday night, oh, what a good time to receive Jesus Christ. Everybody in here is your friend. The other reason you may not be understanding God's word is because you've been living in blatant, unrepentant sin and you have grieved the Holy Spirit to the point where the Lord is not going to give you further understanding about the deep things of him until you are obedient in the small things that he's already taught you, which is to confess your sin and to repent of those things. And so often we find ourselves living in open, unrepentant, unconfessed sin. And as a result, we grieve the Spirit of God in us. And we are walking down this, this downward spiral, this downhill slope of becoming further from the Lord and more indifferent and apathetic to the things of God. And so, you should be in one of three categories now. You are thriving, receiving God's word, saying, Lord, this is some good stuff and I am so excited to be hearing your word. You are apathetic and indifferent to God's word because you have sin that the Lord is convicting you of, but you have chosen not to confess and repent of. Therefore, you struggle with God's word or seem indifferent to it. Or you're in the final camp, which is you have no understanding or interest in God's word because you're lost. And you're incapable of having an understanding of God's word because you don't have the presence of God's living spirit in you to reveal these things to you. So I would invite you to respond in one way, one of three ways. Number one, get saved. 
Number two, get right. Or number three, thank the Lord that he has brought you from those other two. Would you pray with me and then we're going to stand and sing. Lord, we thank you for this night. I thank you, Lord, that you allow us to read your word and now to respond. Father, it would not be surprising one bit if there is someone that's lost here. And I want to thank you, Lord, that even though there may be a lost here, they don't have to remain that way, but you are calling them through this message and through this invitation. You're calling them to respond. And so, Lord, my prayer is that they don't wait. In a moment when we stand and sing, I pray, God, that they step out and they step forward and they come saying, I need to be saved. I'm tired of being indifferent to God's word. I'm tired of not knowing the depth of who God is. Lord, I pray for also those that are in this room that are struggling in the discipline of studying and reading your word because they have a blatant sin that you have brought to their heart, brought to their mind that they need to confess to you, they need to repent of. Lord, there's some matter in their life that's unresolved and lacking reconciliation and you're calling them, Lord, to leave their gift at the altar and to deal with it. So, Lord, I pray for them. And, Lord, I pray for those that are doing what they should be doing. Lord, they're confessing sin, they're reconciling relationships, they're serving you and they're striving after you. Lord, I pray that they would come to you with a heart of thanksgiving now. Not being like the Pharisees that said, oh Lord, I don't want to be like these poor people that don't have anything, but they could be like the poor in heart that say, God, I'm so thankful that I have what I don't deserve and that you've given it to me freely. And so, Lord, hear our hearts and lead us to respond as you would have us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Would you stand where you are? Sing. The invitation is open.